Welcome to the Encouragement Cafe with Luann and Friends, where the conversation is always hot and fresh. Comfort food for your soul is always on the menu, and friends are close enough to hug. Pull up a chair. We've been waiting just for you. Welcome to Encouragement Cafe. I'm Luann Prater, and today I have with me once again my sweet neighbor, Judy, And Judy and I are on this journey. She's about six months ahead of me on this cancer journey. And it was amazing to me that God placed us side by side in this neighborhood because we're brand new to the area. But I shouldn't be amazed, right? Because that's the way God works. And maybe you're thinking today, well, I don't have cancer, but maybe you have someone in your life that does. And maybe you are going through some other difficulty and you think, does God even know I'm here? Does he even care? Let me answer that. Yes, (laughs) he's there and he cares because we've watched him because we've paid attention to the details. And sometimes when you're in the middle of it, you don't really see it. But when you look back in hindsight, you go, oh, it's kind of like those V8 moments, you know, like, oh, I should have had a V8. Well, that's the way it feels when we look at the history of how we got where we are right now and all the things that had to fall in place. And that's what God does. He makes sure that the details are done way in advance of us ever getting there. And so I thank you, Judy, for joining me again, because today, you know, we talked about just the amazing journey that we're on. But now, once again, you're a little bit ahead of me on this next step. And I got to say, I was really hoping and praying that they got all of my cancer out by taking out part of my colon and that's what the prayer was that's what we hoped for but what we discovered since the last time we talked was they they had to take out all the lymph nodes around that mass and there were 21 lymph nodes two of them tested positive for cancer so even though they took them out they said Luann We have to go down the chemo lane and get some chemo done because we don't know what those two lymph nodes did before we took them out. And we just have to be safe. So when they called and told me that, I was like, okay. You know, I had to kind of brace myself, honestly, because I had kind of said, okay, I'm going to be okay. not going to need any chemo. Yeah, I'm all done. (laughs) (laughs) But it didn't work that way. And, And so I was feeling like, okay, God, I I am not in control. And he whispered to my heart so completely, but I am in control, Luann. And I've got this. And this is just another step in your journey. So Judy, as you have been down this road and you had to actually do chemo before your surgery, so tell me a little bit about what that, what that looks like, how it starts, what you go through, 
because I know we're not alone. Thanks, Luann, and thanks for inviting me over again to do this. My situation was a little bit different. We didn't know right away about lymph nodes, but I, like Luann, I ended up having like two out of 14 positive, I think it was. And so we knew we needed chemo, and, but they wanted to do surgery first. And because I had had issues with my pancreas prior to, it was so inflamed and so forth, they decided to do half chemo, half to 12 rounds of chemo, then surgery, then the other half, which I'm kind of glad they did. For me, it worked out, it worked out well. When I had the chemo in the beginning, you know, they, they, the hospital that we go to, that Luann and I go to, they have these big rooms and they have them all partitioned off with curtains. And you have a recliner chair and a guest chair and you've got a TV and they try to make it as pleasant as possible. But not to be nosy. I, I kind of pay attention to what's going on around me. You can't always see the people around you. Sometimes they close the curtains, sometimes they don't. But what I've noticed, most importantly, I think, is that every chemo is different. Every person is different. Every person reacts differently to the drugs. And while there's one particular drug they give me that makes me pretty sick, there's people that sleep through the whole thing. There's people who have no trouble with the infusions, but they've lost all their hair. So there's such a wide variety, apparently, of drugs and things that they can make specific to your cancer that although it's very scary, it doesn't need to be. Because I'm gonna say the majority of people that I've witnessed have not had a bad, a bad go of it. But they put you in these rooms and the nurses, like everybody else at these, this particular hospital, are so nice. And they installed a port in my shoulder ahead of time so they didn't have to keep poking me and everything. And they, they set you up with the, the medication. Luckily, they do the easy stuff first. So I've got about two hours of sitting there with, I mean, I'll read a book or whatever. It doesn't bother me at all. Then they try to pre-medicate me because they know the last few drugs they give me, I have a reaction to. So they give me a steroid. They give me anti-nausea. They give me Benadryl. They do everything in their power so that you don't feel sick. And it helps. But um, I think... I think the biggest thing is don't necessarily be afraid until you've gone through it yourself because you may be what I see is about 80% of the people there who don't seem to have any problem whatsoever. And I wonder if they hear me whining in my little booth <laughs> that my stomach hurts or I'm nauseous or whatever. You really can't hear that much around. But like I said, I'm amazed when I look across the room and there's people snoring in their recliner chairs while they're getting their chemo. And I'm very jealous that I'm not one of them, you know. So, and again, some people are in and out in an hour. I happen to have to be there like five hours. And then I go home with the pump for that I have to wear for two days. But I think that's just because of my type of cancer, you know, and them being extra careful and, and uh, 
so they're doing the best they can for me and apparently it's working because then they did the surgery part way through and they said it had killed some of the cancer cells already Yay. yeah so so they feel they were doing the right thing and they're continuing it now and right now I've got seven out of 12 completed and it's also kind of fun when you're sitting there and you hear somebody who has completed their thing, they gather up all the nurses and they ring that bell and everybody on the whole floor starts cheering and laughing and you know, it's quite an accomplishment. So whenever, whatever and whenever yours starts, try not to go in there too fearful because you may be one of the people snoring in the next booth. I would love that if I'm the one snoring because I am, I'm not fearful, but you know, it's the unknown. And, and I think for me, Judy, I have always been an in control kind of girl. And this whole journey has taken me completely out of my comfort zone because I have no control over any of it. And when they called me to schedule my chemo, they said, well, well they, they actually have to get me into an oncologist because I've only seen a surgeon. So they said, we've got to get you into a, an oncologist. And I said, well, I want to go back to the hospital where I was because they offered to put me somewhere else. Well, it was going to be about a week later to get into that hospital instead of one of the other campuses. They have two other campuses. And in that moment, I had to decide, do I really, is it important to hurry up and get going on my chemo? Or is it important for me to feel comfortable back where, I, where I've been? And so the familiarity was weighing heavy on my heart. But then again, I was like, wow, this is, my first appointment with my oncologist is out farther than I really expected because my surgeon wanted to, is following up with me at the end of the month. I was hoping I could be in about the end of the month so we could get this th show on the road, you know? So in my head, that, that was my plan and that was my goal. <laughs> and I realized, Luann, chill out. You have zero zero control and so I chose Wesley Chapel because I could get in a week earlier and it's a little bit closer to home not much but a little bit closer and then when I hung up the phone I got all teary and I looked at my husband and I was like I, I really I, I just I don't have any control over this. And that was, again, when God just overwhelmed me with, I have control, Luann. You don't need to. And I'm taking you into places where I want you to be. So, Judy, as, as much as I want to be back on campus where we were, I'm, wonder, I'm wondering if I'm supposed to be in this other place for purposes I can't figure out yet. But they also told me, keep calling in to see if there's a cancellation. Maybe we can get you into the main. So you know me, I'm gonna just hound them like a dog. <laughs> and I'm gonna keep trying because I feel like, okay, I've gotta do all I can do, but then I've gotta let go of it. So tell me now, as you're nearing the end of this round of chemo, what do they say 
is next for you after that? My oncologist is very good. I, I, the, when I met him, it was my very first visit. I met the oncologist and the surgeon only because they thought they were going to do surgery right away. And he's very specific and he writes it all out for you like, you know, these are the side effects, this are the, the, these are the plans. And he gives it to you. So the last time I saw him, which was a couple of weeks ago, he said, okay, so this is how it's going to go. You know, when you're done, well, we're, actually we're doing it now too. Every three months, I want to get this right. <laughs> I wanted to say weeks and I, that would be too much. Every three months, you're going to go for a CAT scan and you're going to do that for three years. And then if everything stays clear after that, we'll go every four months and then we'll go every six months you know and then eventually hopefully you go once a year so it really all depends on the situation and I think it really depends too on the stage of your cancer the type of your cancer the aggressiveness of the cancer and all of that but he laid the whole plan out for me and he wrote it down and he handed it to me God bless him I love this man so I, I know it's coming in fact, I have to drive to the uh, Magnolia campus this weekend for my f next CAT scan because it's been three months. And you're in and out in a few minutes. Unfortunately, it's over an hour drive. But it's just one of those things that's going to bring a little bit of stress and a lot of praying every time I have to go. You know, maybe not initially because I'm still doing the chemo. But that's going to be a fact of life. And in between, my my... My prayer is going to be that I can continue to just live my life and trust God that I'm on the right path and not be so afraid of what's the next test going to bring, you know. I mean, I, there's hundreds of thousands of people that do this. I know that. And they get through it. And there's probably more in our neighborhood that we don't even know. I've had, I've had people call me since... I've had two people call me. In fact, I didn't get a chance to tell you this since the first podcast went out. You know, one called to say, hey, I'm a cancer survivor. You know, I know what you're going through. And another one called to say, I have a friend who was just diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. What do I do? What do I say? How do I help them? You know, so forth. And so I can see God's work. You know, it, it, like I, I think I may mention to, to you or somebody else, I think there's a, there's a silver lining to everything. And I think the silver lining is finding out that through your troubles and issues, you can really help other people. And uh, I don't feel like an expert, but I can just say, well, this is what I've been through, or this is what I wish people would have said to me, or wish people wouldn't have said to me. But it, it's amazing that, that just two in our neighborhood already have reached out. Mm -hmm. So who knows, we may end up being the, the, the cancer uh, counselors of the neighborhood. <laughs> I love that because we're trying to, uh, just like you did me, you reached back behind you and you pulled me up and you helped me keep going and to look at the positive and maybe together, we're going to be doing that for other people. And I loved what you said there because I think it's critical to say the things we wish people hadn't said. Because 
you know, like when when we lost my brother, when he, he died of leukemia when he was 31, a lot of people say a lot of stupid things. They don't mean it, but when you're dealing with something so horrific, there are so many good things you can say or say nothing at all. If you're, if you're not sure, say nothing at all and just put your arm around somebody and tell them, hey, I'm praying with you, I'm praying for you, and we love you. I'm so sorry this is happening. Those kind of comforting things. But when, give me some examples of things that you wish people would not have said. That's actually the easiest thing. And the first thing I told this, this friend of mine, I have a, a very good friend from my, where I used to live before I moved here next to Luann. I mean, we're very close. I, I know she was emotional. She was very worried. And she kept wanting to come visit me when I was in the hospital. And I kept saying, no, don't come. I didn't want people to come. Right. Not exactly sure why. I think there was their reaction. And I just wanted to deal myself, I think, a little bit. But she came in the, in the hospital room, and she came running up to me. I think I was in a chair or in bed by then. And she hugged me, and she cried, and she cried, and she cried. And I know she meant well. I know she couldn't help it. But it didn't help me. It didn't help me. You know, if she would have just hugged me and said, "I'm hey, I'm here for you. I let you know I love you. You know, I'll be praying for you." That would have made all the difference in the world. So that that's to me, I think, is the worst one. And and the second is, don't go see somebody or talk to them if you're really really nervous about what you're going to say, because you know people would come in and you could tell how scared they were. They were like. They didn't know what to say. They were fidgety. Their legs were bouncing. They couldn't relax. And it was hard enough for me to try to relax, seeing people that I cared about being so stressed out by the whole thing. It kind of shakes your confidence a little bit. And and the most important thing that, that people have ever said to me, and I've had a lot of it, is like you said, I love you, I'm here for you, if you need anything, and I'm praying for you. That is so comforting to me, you know, that I, I tell everybody, if they say, I'm praying for you, I say, thank you, please, Con- you know, continue, because it's making a difference. It is. It's making a huge difference in how I feel and in how I'm healing and so forth. So that, if you have do nothing else, just say that. I couldn't agree with you more. One of the things that I've noticed is that, Everybody has either a story in their own family or someone they've heard of that's been through something similar. And in their effort to try to tell you that, they tell you way too much. And then uh, a lot of times it is not a pretty ending. You know, it's like, it's like, okay, I could have gone my whole life without hearing the destruction of how that story ended. So I am 100% on board with you. It's hard enough to stay positive. And as your doctor said, positive, perky, and patient are key to get through this. So as much as I appreciate people sharing 
their story or somebody's story that they know of that may be a little bit similar, if it has a nasty ending, I don't want to know about it. I, I And maybe that's sticking my head in the sand, but I want to be, I, even if they tell me I have a 3% chance of survival, I want to be that 3%. I'm going to go into this thing, swinging the bat and trying to hit a home run. And I'm doing every single thing they're telling me to do. I'm eating my protein. Are you? Good girl. (laughs) Because we can't heal if we don't do the things that they're telling us to do. So I want to make sure that there's nothing that I'm doing that's going to keep that positive flow happening and so it's critical that we don't allow the negative to seep in to our already fragile situation and I mean that in the most loving kind way because I know people are trying to help and they just don't know what to do and they don't know what to say So I think your advice, Judy, on don't say anything, don't come around if you're fidgety, don't try to to come up with a a story that is going to just take me down that negative path. Instead, you know what I've loved more than anything is when people make me laugh, you know, there there's just too much gloom and doom and. I don't always want to talk about my illness. I want to feel like a real person, a real human who's laughing at real situations because when all is said and done, we still are us, right? And so how much has laughter helped in your life with this? Oh, it it helps. It helps a lot. And and so that can be hard sometimes, but I find... Even, you know, a silly television show or movie or put reruns of Seinfeld on TV for a little bit or whatever. Laughter helps a lot because it's hard enough to get out of your own head and stop, you know, no matter how positive you try to be in whatever. It is very hard to get out of that. And a distraction, a wonderful distraction, a good book, something funny, something inspirational, some music. Any, anything that brings you back to your normal self, I think, is, is huge. And I agree about the stories of, you know, oh, well, my brother had this, and this is what happened. And luckily, I haven't had too much of that. But, you know, it's, 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 it's a whole difficult situation for everybody around you. It's difficult for you. It's difficult for people who love you. And... You know, here, so here you're trying to live your life, you're trying to be positive, you're trying not to be a cancer patient mm-hmm. or look like a cancer patient, which can get hard. Like for me, I keep losing weight because I'm having trouble eating. And, I, and as I say to my husband all the time, I don't want to look like a cancer patient, you know. But I'd like I, I might have mentioned last time, there are very few people that I see when I go to the hospital who look like cancer patients in this cancer hospital. So I take that as a good sign, you know, that they're, they're healing and they're doing well and they're gaining weight and, and whatever. So, um, but it is tricky. That, that neighbor who called me about her, her friend with the um, 
pancreatic cancer. She hopped on a plane right away and went to Las Vegas to try to help. But she's called me more than once so depressed because she said, I don't know what I'm doing here. I don't know if I'm doing the right thing. How do I help him? Whatever. And, and I, I mean, honestly, it's kind of scary to give advice because I'm certainly no expert. But I just said to her, the last time I talked to her was, try to get the focus off him a little bit. You know, I said, when, when I finally resolved the fact that I was going to go through on this journey, I said, I have to fight, and I have to fight. Not for me, I have to fight because my kids. I have to fight because, don't laugh at me, I have three pets uh, who think I'm their mother. And, you know, and my friends and my family. And I, so I, I don't have a choice. You know, I might not want to do chemo. I might not want to go through all this stuff, but I have to for those people who need me. And I said, he, now this man in particular has a wife with Alzheimer's, very bad. And I said, and he's worried about her a little bit. And I said, maybe just, you know, remind him that this is his, his job to get well, to do whatever the doctors tell him, because he needs to be there for his wife. Mm -hmm. And not to make him feel guilty about it or anything or worry more, Is but you, you, you need a purpose, you need another focus besides, oh, poor me, you know. So, uh, you know, it's a danger of giving advice, but do the best you can. Perfectly said. And now I, I had I'd been getting a lot of books sent to me and a lot of things. And one of the books was uh, What Cancer Cannot Do. And there is a, it's, the author is unknown who wrote this, but I love it. And here's the, the basic premise of it. It says, cancer is so limited. It cannot cripple love. It cannot shatter hope. It cannot corrode faith. It cannot destroy peace. It cannot kill friendship. It cannot suppress memories. It cannot silence courage. It cannot invade the soul. It cannot steal eternal life. It cannot conquer the spirit. And for me, that, that's a good reminder because the only way any of those things are not true is if we give cancer permission to take away those things. So Judy, I want us to just pray for each other right now, but I also want to pray that those that are listening would hear a nugget and take that with them if they're helping someone else or if they're walking this journey with us. So, Judy, hold my hand. Let's do this. Father, we come before you just so grateful that you've allowed us on this journey. And I know that sounds crazy, but sometimes the afflictions in our life really do draw us near because we have nowhere else to go. We're so self-reliant in this world. And when we get this kind of news, we realized we have no control, but you do. And so, Father, I thank you for that realization that we are on this journey on purpose. And maybe it's for people that are listening right now who have a loved one 
and they don't know how to behave around that loved one, they want to cry. Lord, give them courage to stand and be that confident, positive person in the face of the affliction. And Lord, maybe it's somebody that's just gotten bad news, or maybe they're going through some other kind of tragedy in their life. We all will face hard times, but you've given us everything we need internally. You've given us the Holy Spirit to walk this thing out and to say, okay, what's our next right step? And Father, as we leave this conversation right now, we ask for you to help Judy and I take the next right step. And for everyone listening to do the same. Lord, we love you. And we know that you are carrying us all through the turbulence, the, the hard times. And we thank you for that. And we lift this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. I think, if I may, I'd like to jump back to that information that Luann mentioned about what cancer can't do. Because as you were reading this, and I was looking at it in a different point of view, and cancer could do all of those things if you lost your faith. Mm. If you didn't believe in God, if you lost your faith, it would cripple you, it would shatter you, it would do all of those things. And I'm so thankful that I have my faith because I can't imagine going through a journey like this without it you know so I thank God for that and I thank God for you to share this journey with me we are a blessed couple of girls so thank you for hanging in there with us today and may the God of hope give you the courage to encourage others we'll see you back here next time Thanks for joining us today at Encouragement Cafe with Luann and friends, where women gather, friends laugh, and hearts mend. Let's continue our conversation. Hop online when you get a chance to sit down and breathe at encouragementcafe.com. Remember, this is God's ministry, so we ask for your prayers as we reach out to women in Jesus' name. We'll see you back here next week where we fill you up one cup at a time.